AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Movie Crush. Charles W. Chuck Bryant here in a different studio than I'm usually in, in Pont City Market, Atlanta, uh, one of our three. And this week, I had the wonderful and charming and magnetic Guy Branham on the show. You might know Guy from Talk Show, The Game Show, uh, the very, very funny uh, TV series that he has on True TV. Or you may just know him as a stand-up comedian. He's wonderful. He is a incredibly likable guy. He, Like I said, he has one of those magnetic personalities where you meet Guy and you just want to be his friend. And so he came through Atlanta to do some live uh, comedy on stage. And so I wrangled him in here, uh, which was wonderful. And we talked about the uh, 1990s indie uh, darling party girl with Parker Posey. And this is a great, great movie. It was one of my... Um, Kind of when I was first getting into indie movies in the in the early to mid '90s, uh, Party Girl came on the scene, and I was living in New York. And we talk about it some on the show, but it was just sort of a world of this party scene in uh, in in the lesser known neighborhoods of New York that really just spoke to me at the time when I saw it, and I wanted to be a part of that world, and ended up sort of being a part of that world when I lived up there. So Guy and I had a great conversation about it. And uh, we had great chemistry, and I wanted to I wanted to start a podcast with Guy. That's how much fun we had. So here we go with Guy Branham on Party Girl. 
Nate DeMeo. Do you know his show? No. Memory Palace. He um he's a podcaster and he chose Titanic, which was uh I got through it. it but it's But it's also one of those like I mean, that was nineteen ninety seven, you sure. know? Like that was not avoidable. And I saw it a bunch. Like yeah. to be fair, it's not like I went, eh, I'm not gonna see that right corny movie. I mean, I saw it quite a few times on TV and I mean we as a people should be more mad about the fact that Avatar is the highest grossing film of all time. I we all that let movie. that happen. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. But just once. And it's funny, I posted one time under the the Stuff You Should Know page that, like, has there ever been a bigger movie that had as little general impact on culture as Avatar? Yeah. Um, and a lot of angry people were like, no, it's the best. I Isn't there a thing with, like... Um, Disney is contracted to like roll out a bunch of Avatar stuff in the amusement parks, yeah, really? and they like don't want to because no one cares. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no one gives a shit about yeah. riding an Avatar ride. I don't think, right? No, not remotely. Um, They're doing more of them though. I mean, I would if there were a ride that were just about bored Sigourney Weaver making money. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, like it's just. Uh, an immersive experience where Sigourney Weaver takes a check to her business manager. <laughs> I would write that. Um, are we are we recording yet? Yeah. Uh, I was. I'll find an entry point. Like you can say whatever. We can like pick up later. This with is the this, official intro. Um, this is off the record and very tenuously related to anything that we're doing. But I still want to tell you. Okay. Um. So I was getting stories back from like the um actress meetings f- for all of the um um me too stuff mm-hmm. um and one of the things that we're going to do for the golden globes is in addition to wearing black they were going to not wear jewelry uh-huh. um and Meryl Streep essentially said I can't do that because getting money from jewelers to wear their jewelry is like a decent chunk of what my income income is. And then I realized that Meryl Streep in being Meryl Streep uh-huh. never just did what all the rest of them did, like a nice Glenn Close cash in of just like, uh-huh. I'm not getting nominated for Academy Awards anymore. Right. I'm going to go be in Guardians of the Galaxy and uh-huh. 101 Dalmatians or Sigourney Weaver in uh, um, Avatar. Yeah. Um, and... It made me a little bit sad that like yeah. Meryl Streep always getting the best role for a sixty year old woman right. means she and her sculptor husband are like just getting by <laughs> on jewelry money. Yes. Wow. That's crazy. Yes. That's crazy that that would be a substantial enough portion of her life. I know. And her income that it mattered. It's weird, but like that's what happens when you're a respectable actress. Uh-huh. You like you don't monetize. I don't think I knew that uh, they got paid for that. I thought they just I didn't know that either. Got to wear it for free, and um, you know, would plug it for that's a, that. It's a whole industry. I respect it a great yeah, deal. That's crazy. It's interesting watching um, friends of mine, like uh, Emily V. Gordon, just got nominated uh-huh. for an Academy Award for yeah, the Big so Sick, great. Um, and like them having like Emily is not somebody who can just go to designer i right. mean maybe maybe she can now that she's going to the oscars but like her having to figure out yeah what to wear yeah because they were nominated <laughs> at all like they were at all of the stuff so mm-hmm. it, it was like you know this has been like a, a 10 or 12 dress season yeah because yeah they can't wear the same thing right right wow i didn't think about that um uh francis mcdormand 
almost does. Frances McDormand <laughs> wears to award shows um, what what Susan Sarandon wore playing Sister Helen Prejean. <laughs> Frances McDormand is the best. She's wonderful. Like a hero. Um, I really on my podcast. I really want to do. Um, an episode where we we just track all of the Frances McDormans uh-huh. because I feel like she is an interesting model for actress career. Like the fact that like yeah. it was her job to be the hot girl in Dark Man. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, and, yeah, crazy. And like how, and also just how quickly it is you go from like that breakout role mm-hmm. that makes everyone aware of you to being elder stateswoman in the firmament who just shows up for four scenes in um what's that movie about the band that cameron crowe did Uh, almost um, famous yeah yeah she was the mom yeah and like going going from fargo to the mom Uh in four years yeah just shows you what a career is like. i know and i guess fargo that was that had to have been her big breakout right like i knew about her way before of course but I, I didn't like I I hadn't seen Blood Simple. I had seen her in a bunch of things. Uh-huh. I just hadn't noticed her. Right. You know, and very much in the way that like, how many Michael Stolberg films have I seen? And it wasn't until this year that I was like, that guy. What's he in? Oh, he's he's in everything this year. <laughs> You're joking, right? I I mean, just he plays the dad and Call Me by Your Name. He I just pl- haven't seen that one yet. He plays. Um, uh, a character I cannot identify <laughs> in um, The Shape of Water. Oh, I did and, see that. And then he's in, uh, he plays a Russian spy. Oh, um, yeah, and, that guy. And then he he's in he's in one of the other. From the Coen Brothers, uh, a Simple Man? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, he's great. You haven't seen Call Me By Your Name yet? No, it's on the list. Uh, it's very good. I wonder how intelligible it is to straight people. I'll get back to you on that. Okay. <laughs> For real. Um, and in fact, we just decided yesterday that I'm going to do a pre-Oscars and post-Oscars special with my wife, mm-hmm. uh, which should be fun. And we're going to – we have friends with screeners, so we're going to watch all those soon. With what you've seen so far, what is your favorite of the films? Um, well, I mean, I love Lady Bird so much. Uh, I'm from an hour north of Sacramento. Um, and, That's right. I, uh, I knew that. It uh, – <laughs> I never felt like the place I was from had been described uh-huh. until I read Joan Didion. Uh, and the fact that she so deeply roots what Lady Bird is about mm-hmm. in Joan Didion and that weird, like, the br- the brittle strength of these ladies. Yeah. It's too much. That, that that movie's climax is her saying, I'm sorry for wanting more. Right. To her mother is just sort of like, I, like, told my mom, you have to go see that. And the thing is, is like, Lady Bird played in like a couple of theaters in Sacramento for a couple of weeks. Really? Um, Yeah. And it's such a love letter to the town, you know? It really is. But like Sacramento needs to not be concerned with that. Sacramento (laughs) needs to be far more aware of local MMA fighters or (laughs) some guy who played on um, a major league baseball team for like four months and then uh, uh, got, from there. Yes. Yeah. Like, I mean, part of what that movie is so deeply about is um, not trying or noticing your own importance because like, I mean, when she talks to that girl in the pool about mm-hmm. what about San Francisco? Yeah. And that girl is just like, I don't like Hills. Yeah. Um, in, in both a literal and metaphorical way. And the way that like, <laughs> 
California is a gigantic state. Yeah. And there are some places that matter. And everywhere else doesn't matter in a deeply significant way. Mm -hmm. And it's why, this is getting very far abroad, but when people talk shit about the Electoral College, I'm always like, good for Iowa. Iowa gets to push us around a little bit. Other, otherwise, Iowa would just get pushed around. Because Yuba City, where I am from, mm-hmm. is, you know, the Iowa of California. It is producing almonds and peaches instead of um, corn. And doing much better, right. acre by acre. But the, the <laughs> thing of just sort of like um, knowing you don't matter and are so close to somewhere that does matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, that mindfuck. Sorry for going off on a tear about Lady no, Bird. No, no, no. But love I it. loved Lady Bird so much. Yeah. No, I was curious to get someone's take that was kind of from that area. Yeah. You know? Well, and it's also just a great movie, like a great coming of age movie. Yeah. It oh. just hit all the buttons. Yeah. And of course, my wife and her mom had a uh, complicated relationship like a lot of mothers and daughters do. And so it just, she was all over this movie. And it just, we both love, love Greta Gerwig anyway. Yeah. And to see her ascend like this has just been... Really, really cool. I was in a movie with Greta Gerwig. Which one? Uh, no Strings Attached. I didn't see that one. Uh, it was a romantic comedy uh-huh. about Ashton Kutcher and Natalie Portman as uh, two people who had sex for fun with each other but weren't in a relationship. Okay. Um, it was Liz Merriweather's first movie, The Girl Who Created the New Girl. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, it was a romantic comedy, so of course Natalie Portman had uh, three sassy roommates, and they were Greta Gerwig, Mindy Kaling, and me. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yes. And you ended up writing for the Mindy Project, right? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Is that how you guys met? Um, he, that, yeah, that was how I first met Mindy. It was on the, in the movie. Cool. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Were you ever on The New Girl? I was never on The New Girl. I didn't see that. I was just curious. Yeah. I mean, I would have liked to have been, but Liz never called. <laughs> <laughs> so you grew up there. Um, as far as movies, were you in, way into movies when you were a kid? Um, like the coming of the VCR to our home meant a great deal. Yeah. Because it was like, there was so, so much stuff that just wasn't going to come to our like three movie theaters. Uh-huh. Uh, and also that like I as an eight year old wasn't going to be able to get my parents to go to. And my mom really, really loved movies. And so the VCR meant a lot to her. Mm-hmm. And like, I remember begging my mom, <laughs> two movies, that within our first year of getting a VCR, I begged my mom to rent for me were Educating Rita. Oh, great. And Garbo Talks. Because, great. Wow. Um, Good taste. Well, it was just like uh, Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel had said that they were good. Uh-huh. And I was like, well, I want to see what this is. Yeah. Um, and it's so funny because, like, you you take this little boy and then expose him to sort of, like, the emotional complexity. Like, Watching Anne Bancroft tell fake Greta uh, uh, Garbo yeah. what her work meant to her and uh-huh. her getting to reach back through the screen and talk back to the movies that had shaped her life yeah. kind of fucked eight-year-old me in the head <laughs> of just sort of like, what's my relationship to these things that are on the other right. side of the screen? Yeah. And it's why, like... um Purple Rose of Cairo, like movies like oh, that, sure. yeah, yeah. Um, really uh, meant a lot to me. But like, um, yeah, I like I did a lot of watching like prestige movies uh-huh. on VCRs six months after they came out. A lot of Merchant Ivory, right? A lot of that stuff. Um, and I, of course, you know, I was still a little boy. Like, um, I loved Dune and Star Wars, right? Like. 
It was uh, very fun watching Jupiter Ascending because... Well, I love that movie. Okay. It well, was so much fun. An original IP is so nice, and I was just like, if I had watched this when I were 12, I would be obsessed with it. <laughs> I would just want to know everything about that world yeah. and be in it. Um, it, it was a good time. Yep. Also... Can I share with you my official Channing Tatum theory? I uh, love it. This is not the first time I have expressed it, but uh -huh. you are a film professional, so I feel like I need to run it past you as well. Sure. Channing Tatum is our Madeline Kahn. We <laughs> <Okay>. always <laughs> we want to make him an action star. He is a handsome man. We want to give him G.I. Joe. That yeah. did not work out. But he is so good at being a charming 15% of somebody else's movie. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> yeah. You know, look at Hail Caesar. Hail Caesar, I don't know that it's like a whole movie. Yeah. But every moment he's on screen, I'm wrapped. Yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah. In that movie. Or um, This is the End. Is that what that was called? This is the End. The is that the Seth Rogen, James Franco? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yes. Uh -huh. Like him showing up at the end yeah. as the sex sub. I mean, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. It's just like the charming beauty of. <laughs> a male former sex worker uh -huh. being able to know that his like masculinity <laughs> is so without question yeah. that he can, you know, put on a dog collar uh -huh. and <laughs> he's still hotter than you and has more access to vaginas than you. Yeah. <laughs> he's great. I just saw uh, Logan Lucky on a on a plane. I don't know what that's about. That's um the Soderbergh, you know, post-retirement movie that he, he obviously is not retired. Yeah. It's um I think the joke in the movie is Ocean 7-Eleven. It's sort of like an Ocean's Eleven thing, but they're rednecks robbing a, a NASCAR track. Oh, that's very fun. Non-traditional heist movie and heist movie that isn't like all full of itself yeah. is something I would like to see more of. Um, I was a big fan of Topkapi. Um, Which one? Okay, uh, it's 1964. Oh, I don't know. Uh, okay. Can I tell you the yeah. story in full? Yeah, yeah. Jules Dassin, he's blacklisted. Mm -hmm. He's a communist, and he had made here in the United States Night in the City, which was just like this, you know, classic police drama that everybody loved. He's an actual communist, so mm -hmm. he gets blacklisted. He goes to France, like sort of is uncertain what he's supposed to do, and then he makes a movie in France, uh, Rafifi, um, which is uh, like the paradigm of a heist movie. It is uh, the middle forty-five minutes of it are completely silent. I think I've heard of this. Like it is this beautiful, yeah, this beautiful heist movie. And then he goes with it to Cannes, and while he's at Cannes, he meets this Greek actress, Melina Mercouri, uh, and they fall for each other, and they mm -hmm. have a tempestuous relationship. He makes a movie about her as a hooker with a heart of gold uh -huh. um, that is uh, a splashy success, gets nominated for Best Actress and I think Best Picture. Uh, and then the two of them go and make a parody of his heist movie. And it's called Top Copy. Um, wow. And Peter, uh, Peter Ustinov won yeah, yeah. an Academy Award for it, but it's just like... A really like goofy, fun, uh -huh. uh, mid '60s comedy heist movie. Wow, I gotta check that out. She eventually became a member of the Greek cabinet. Really, in real it, life? Yes, it's a magnificent story. Yeah, and they did they stay together? Or? They stayed together the entire time. Like wow. they had um, <laughs> the best story about Jules Dassin and Melina Mercouri is she was doing something he did not like when they were making Never on Sunday. Mm -hmm. uh, I think she was singing a song differently every time. And he started yelling at her, 
and she was not changing what she was doing. And then he like went to knock her around. And like right as he got up to her, she started, she just burst out laughing and she was like, the great communist has come to like beat me into submission. <laughs> and he was deeply humiliated wow. and walked away. Holy cow. Um, yeah. But uh, Melina Mercuri was, um, she's fucking awesome. Yeah. So you, you're a student of film. Um, student of the films that I like, you know, yeah, it's okay. like your, your 1970s things that um, men think are respectable, uh-huh. I know nothing about. I, I just know the name Brian De Palma is a sign that I should stop listening. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think I, I know you're coming from. <laughs> yeah. Um, you should see, I'm trying to think of a Brian De Palma movie you might like. Maybe Dressed to Kill. What is that? Uh, the the thriller murder movie with Angie Dickinson, and uh, where I think there's a uh, no, was was it a? Oh, sure. Oh, that's exciting. Early uses of Margot Kidder. Yeah. <laughs> also, I've been self-absorbed and have not noticed your beard, but that's a hell of a beard. Oh, there's a lot of beard quality in this room. Yeah. <laughs> and you have no beard. I have no beard. No. And no hair. No hair. It's easier this way. It is. I actually, about once a year, I'll like shave my head usually in the summertime. Look, you're a grown-up man who still has a hairline. You should be showing that <laughs> off wherever you can. Probably so. Um, so what other movies when you were a kid like spoke to you? Uh, the first thing that I remember being like a favorite movie that like was part of my identity was A Fish Called Wanda. Mm. Um, it came out when I was in junior high, and I was at the mall in Sacramento shopping with my mom, and this cool boy and I started talking, and he told me about A Fish Called Wanda, and I was like, well, I have to see that. Yeah. And also, um, I had been, the summer that it came out, I was getting to stay up late and watch late night shows, uh-huh. and so I saw Jamie Lee Curtis and John Cleese and all of these people going and, um, like, uh, paneling really hard. Like, they were on all of the late-night shows. Oh, right. And I didn't know what Monty Python's Flying Circus was. Uh-huh. Um, and I didn't know who these people were, but I was like, they are super funny. Uh, and that movie, it's a heist movie. I love that. Yeah. Like, the 80s gave us so many beautiful action comedies. Um, but it's more just, like that everyone was smart enough to be doing what they were doing yeah. and that we made proper use of Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh-huh. Like, True Lies was good, but I feel like A Fish Called Wanda is the one point in time where she really does... She has to turn on a dime so many fucking times. Yeah. She, and like, it's also really cool to hear um, Monty, like, John Cleese lines mm-hmm. that are written for their very flat, erudite British delivery. Yeah. Um, get get the laughs wrenched out of them by a nice half half Jewish girl. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, and of course Kevin Klein, fantastic. Ke- Kevin Klein is so great, and like the the fact that he just runs full bore at that mm-hmm. at that movie, um, it's so good. Like yeah. it's just so satisfying, even today. Yeah, agreed. I haven't seen it in a while, but it's it's one of my faves. For sure. And that was sort of the time when they were still making these. Uh, I feel like they don't make comedies like that anymore. Well, I mean, we we don't make a $50 million movie anymore. Yeah. Why would we do that? Yeah. You know? 
um, we make a four million dollar movie, right? Or you know, a hundred and fifty million. Yeah, for sure. Um, and there were a lot of there were action comedies. We we could still trust an original IP. You want to know what's magical and daunting? What seeing what Bollywood can do in the United States for three million dollars. Are they doing that? Yes. Oh, wow. Let me tell you about a movie. It's called Dostana. Uh-huh. That means friendship in Hindi. It is Bollywood, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. It takes place <laughs> yeah. entirely in Miami. It is almost entirely in English. Oh, wow. And it looks saturated and gorgeous. Uh, everything is like uh, um, a real... They use actual locations because uh-huh. they can't afford to make um, because just going into some apartment is easier than right. like, building a set. Right, right. Um, it's and you know five musical numbers. Uh-huh. Um, and I know nothing about Bollywood. I need to get in there some. The thing is, is like a, a lot of people appreciate it in a campy way, mm-hmm. in a way that's sort of like condescending and is stupid and I think is still rooted in ideas of what Bollywood was in like the 60s, 70s and 80s where now I mean it's a huge industry they fucking know what they're doing Yeah, all of those people can act and dance and yeah. pretend to sing um, and they can make a hell of a glossy movie Yeah, um, you know that like they're, I got in I, I went into a deep Priyanka Chopra dive before her crossover, uh-huh. uh, I was just at a nail salon and saw a movie called Fashion, which was essentially The Devil Wears Prada. Right. Um, and was like, who is this gorgeous woman? And then watched everything that I could. And, like, it's fun to see, like, what a hipster comedy in, yeah. um, like, their their version of, like, Wes Anderson right. um, is, is sort of, like, goofy. Uh-huh. But, like, there are some of them... Um, there's this movie, Three Idiots, that's really, really good. Uh-huh. There's one I forget its name. The, the essential premise of which is like, what if a Sikh guy tried to be smart? <laughs> um, and, like, I mean, it's coming from a different cultural context, but it's like, yeah. it's cool to see good filmmaking. Are they taking their cues from American movies at all, or is it all just out of their own? No, I mean, they are trying to, like, so frequently they are just like, taking an American story uh-huh. and, and then just, like, moving it around as fits their needs. Gotcha. Like, um, you know, it, Dostana is, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, uh-huh. uh, under different terms. Two right. guys have to pretend to be gay to get a thing. Right. Um, and, like, they're, they're action films similarly. But also, but they do have to change things because those movies have to be at least three hours long. Those oh, movies long? have to have four dance, you know, four right. to seven dance numbers in them. Um, so much fun, huh? It is. Yeah. I need to get into that. <laughs> and they're just all just completely over the top, right? Visually and... Yeah, I mean, well, that's why I like sort of um, the comedies a little bit more because, like, an urbane comedy is situated in this really interesting world. One of my favorite things is that until the movie Dostana... If you did have a gay character, mm-hmm. he essentially had to be white. Right. Um, like in fashion, there is like a Stanley Tucci kind of character. Right. But it's a it's a white guy. Right, right. Because it would be creepy if it were an, a gay Indian guy. Yeah, interesting. Huh. Yes. That's fascinating. They're great movies. 
Um, I, I meant to ask you when you were talking about the best pictures, what, what was your uh, favorite? Oh, um, Lady, Lady Bird. Bird. Oh, Lady okay. Bird. Yeah. That's great. Um, I, I mean, I, Call Me By Your Name is amazing. Yeah. I deeply love it. Um, but La- Lady Bird is just something I thought I would never see. Yeah. You know? I think it's like a Dark Horse favorite. Yeah. I mean, I, I really hope so. Um, it's interesting to see what will come of this uh, best director race, where yeah. it's either our first black best director, uh-huh. our second female best director, right. or a, a guy we're, we knew we would give an Oscar to, but not for the movie we thought we would give it to him for. Which would be who? Paul Thomas Anderson, Guillermo oh, del Toro, right. or Christopher Nolan. Yeah, Christopher Nolan's not going to win. No, he's not going to win. What the fuck is that movie about? You know, I liked it, uh, even though I didn't fully... Did you see it? Yes. Yeah, I liked it, even though I couldn't fully... I didn't fully get the timelines until afterward. Then it made a little more sense when I read about it. But um, I think it was just... I was just sort of in it. Like, visually, it was pretty captivating. And I was in the story. No, it's great. I just wish you were... Look, we've had a World War II movie before, yeah, you know? And it's sure. like... Saving Private Ryan for however Spielbergy it is, like which is pretty Spielbergy. It, it made some lovely points, yeah. you know. Yeah, I like that movie. I would have lost the bookends, though. Of course, what? I would have lost those bookends. Yes, but um, yeah, I get it. Uh, I was trying to think of what else was nominated for Best Picture. They do so many now, I, and there's quite a few I haven't seen. Like I got to borrow these screeners. Yeah, I haven't seen Phantom Thread or Three Billboards. Um, so I need to get those. Phantom Thread is good but weird. Three billboards. Fuck that movie. I've heard people say that lately. Yeah. Is that the deal? I mean. Because I thought everyone loved it, and then I've, uh, a lot of backlash lately from people I trust on Facebook. The thing is, is everybody's going to consume it in their own way. I think my mom will probably really like it because mm-hmm. it involves vigilante justice by a woman, and that right. will be appealing to her. Yeah. Um, but I I don't know what that movie thinks it's about. Huh. Um and I'm mad at it, and it does a lot of playing with ideas that it doesn't know how to properly process. Right. Um, and if it wins Best Picture over things that I love, yeah, I will be mad. But like mainly, you... all of my money is on Best Supporting Actress. All like all of my energy. If I could have a Lori Metcalf yard sign, I would. Oh man, I may go door walking with her. That would be so great if and she won. I, I mean, everybody loves Allison Janney. I love Allison Janney. Yeah, I just feel like. You know, that bird pecking your ear, it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a little big. Yeah, and it feels like Lady Bird's one of those where they're going to, they can't win all those awards, so they may pick and choose a couple yeah. that people are going to heavy heavily go in on, and Laurie Metcalf, I think, is a good shot. Yeah. That would be great. But I would so love to see Greta Gerwig win uh, Best Director. Yeah. That would be awesome. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. 
because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. This is Ashley Iconetti from the Ben and Ashley I Almost Famous podcast. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Maybe we should do an Oscar special every year. <laughs> that would be delightful. Or Golden Globes or something. Um, so paint a picture for me as we get into Party Girl about where you were in your life in 1995. Okay. So it's, it's important in context yes. of this movie. Um, I was at Berkeley. I was still in the closet. That's right. You're a smart guy. <laughs> it's a state school. It's not that No, great. but you also like went to law school. Come on. Um, but I was at Berkeley. Um, I was still in the closet, but I was like first starting to like have friends who got me mm-hmm. and feel a little bit more comfortable in my own skin. Like I had, I was now like two years away from this farm town full of people who were always mad at me for not knowing how to fix a truck. Right. Um, and sort of like getting to feel a little bit more okay. And I, um, in being functionally asexual, uh-huh. not understanding a social life, would very frequently just go to the Blockbuster in Berkeley um, to get something to while away a Friday or Saturday evening. Right. And there was this box there. Mm-hmm. that had the audacity, the audacity, <laughs> Chuck, to say Parker Posey is the party girl. <laughs> That's right. It did say and that, didn't I it? I was like, who the fuck is Parker Posey? <laughs> How dare you, Parker Posey? Yeah. Um, and like, this was also, it was a very entertainment weekly time for all of us. Uh-huh. But we were all like really paying attention to entertainment a lot. It was the period of time when IFC and all of... Oh, also, here's the thing is that because we lived on a farm, essentially, in the middle of nowhere, we didn't get cable until I was 16 years old or so. Uh So, so many of these things were, like, still relatively new to me. But it was a, a period of time when... Everyone was paying a little more attention to independent film. For sure. Um, But I particularly had just gone balls deep on entertainment generally. Yeah. You know? Um, And especially, like, awards and Sundance and things like that. Mm -hmm. Like, I was was caring about them. But I did not yet know that Parker Posey was the queen of the indies. Right. Um, so finally, eventually, I picked up that VHS uh-huh. uh, and I said, let's see what you've got, Ms. Posey. <laughs> yeah. 
Game uh, on. And I took it home, um, and I was just entranced. Uh-huh. Like, it was, um, like, from the opening bars of Wolfgang Press's cover of Mama Told Me Not to Come uh-huh. yeah. to... And at the time, I didn't even know it was Lady Bunny. But the first spoken dialogue in that movie is Lady Bunny. And Daisy Von Schuller-Meyer, the director of Party Girl, who yeah. got no real opportunities after that. I know. I, um, I was kind of... I mean, she did other stuff, but yeah, she not Ma- directly afterward. She did the Madeline movie. She directs uh-huh. a lot of TV now. I mean, directing TV is very lucrative. Sure. Um, but th- that movie is just... Not as ham-fistedly as Baby Driver is, Mm -hmm. but that movie is just carried along by this, like, 90s club music in the most wonderful of ways. And and not in an insular kind of way where, like, that soundtrack has, like, Run DMC and stuff on it where it really is just, like, what a downtown girl of that era would listen to and care about. And also as, like, a closeted California kid Uh in the 90s... um, 90s downtown gay culture has always had this fascination for me of like this magical land that I never went to. Right. You know? Um, and so you hadn't been to New York at all at that point? Never. Uh-huh. I, I had never, did not go to New York until I was in law school. Okay. Um, and it would be years before. And by that point in time, I was out of the closet, but I still wasn't going to you know, parties in basements and stuff like that. It would be years before that. Um, But it, so it was like a look into this world that was fascinating to me and appealing to me in so many ways, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't able to sort of like fully admit to myself all of the reasons that it was appealing. Right. Um, And then just sort of dolloped on top of that was this performance of like the ultimate affected sassy girl mm-hmm. yeah that was just everything i wanted to be like yeah. um and it was i realize now <laughs> that like a lot of straight guys would probably find a girl like that super annoying or whatever um i i could not imagine that you would be anything but enraptured by it years later when i was working at g4 i was mm-hmm. getting coffee and we essentially had very few shows that had female staff. Like, there were usually, like, one or two women on on a show. And then this new show came in that had, like, f- four female producers on it, and we were all scandalized. But I was getting coffee, and one of the girls came up and said, ha, ha, hello. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, we are friends now. Right. Um, yes. That's all it takes. Yes. So, yeah, Party Girl. It was just, like, an image, like... It was like a messiah for my gayness. Like yeah. it was just um, this creature. I want to learn everything I can about her. Mm-hmm. She is magical, and um, I also loved that it was such a a playfully inverse plot where it's not the librarian who takes her bun down and learns to have a good time. Yeah, for sure. It is, you know. Um, the the drunk messed up girl who learns to put her hair up into a bun and yeah. create order and it has like a nice crisp little plot and as somebody who is bad at writing plot I always respect uh-huh. a nice crisp little plot yeah I mean it definitely had um well I first saw it I guess let me back up I first saw it when I went to um 
I went to New York right after college the year this came out uh-huh. and lived there, lived in New Jersey, and that's where I first spent a lot of time in New York. And so I saw it, I think, at like the Angelica. Yeah. And that was the that heyday of the mid-90s. Like I was into all that shit, like how Hartley and Greg Araki <laughs> and Jim Jarmusch yeah. and stuff like this was just like that mid-90s indie boom was just amazing. Yes. And um, – that's the first time I was hanging out in New York. And even for like a straight kid from the South, I saw this party girl world and just thought like, that's the epitome of cool. Yeah. Like that's, that's who Holly Golightly is now. Right. In modern times. And the thing is, I, I had seen breakfast at Tiffany's, but I didn't think to connect those things. Yeah. Because like, I think a lot of what is supposed to seem tragic about Breakfast at Tiffany's never registered with me. Uh-huh. Um, because when I was younger, it wasn't clear to me that she was supposed to be a sex worker. And I just didn't think that, I mean, like, the only sad part was that she got knocked up when she was 14, you know? <laughs> My thing with Mary is, is that while they want to portray her as quote-unquote vapid, like, you can tell, you can see right through that from the very beginning that she has substance. Like, the vapid thing is literally in, like, the opening montage, and then you're like, wait a minute, she's she's got something going on inside. Well, what's interesting, it was very hard for, like, it was weird that she, when they say that she had gone to Columbia, uh-huh. I was like, how could somebody who went to Columbia be fucking around like this? I couldn't even imagine that. Yeah. Um, and I remember I wanted my mom to watch it, but I was also scared that she would watch it and think that I would graduate from Berkeley and then become sort of like a useless person. But um, I do, I, I I think it is a crisp little plot where uh-huh. like she knows how to get by, yeah, but she doesn't know what that means for her to be able to do anything like of substance. Right. Like she knows how to shoplift at, at a house party. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she doesn't know how that, looks like a career and I think it's so nice that you have the Guillermo um, Diaz yeah he's great B story right there because uh-huh. you do have somebody who whatever and however much an idiot he is he knows what he wants right and there is something really interesting about that like I remember when I was like or I had some friends who were like 27 28 um, and they had all gotten a job out of college that was like fine and good uh-huh. and then we're at the point of like wait what am I doing and of that group of friends, one of them was a stand-up comedian. And however much he had a worse house and a worse car and a worse life, at yeah. least he knew what path he was on. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had they had like five or six years of awkwardness, all of them, yeah. figuring out what that path was. Right. Um, and like it's a good quarter-life crisis movie mm-hmm. of like – Totally, man. Um, having – you know, maybe having fun isn't enough. Right. Uh, but it really takes a nice argument that the answer is not stopping having fun. Yep. Like our our movies about nightlife are always so judgmental. Yeah. It's always 54. Uh-huh. Um, and I have to say, Saturday Night Fever is um, – the. It is an unusual movie. I watched it recently, and I think I had a notion of what that movie was. But in the end, is his name Tony? Yeah, Tony Manera, I think. Yeah, Tony is liberated by his love of dancing. Yeah. He is, like, brought from Brooklyn sure. into Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And that girl who he dances with, like, like uppity Brooklyn Italian girl who you 
I assumed the movie was going to be judgmental of her right. for fucking that talent agent uh-huh. and, you know, wanting something a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't. And, um, I, like, I'm I'm proud of, of Party Girl for understanding that these are things that can be balanced in your life. You can be somebody who understands the Dewey Decimal Absolutely. System uh-huh. and also, like, uh, does Molly on occasion. Yeah, and like no one OD'd, no one died. Yeah. Nothing bad happened. The uh, gay guys find each other. Right, exactly. Derek, what a great character. Yes. He has one of my favorite lines in the movie when he's going over where to find Carl. And he said, Wednesday night is... Uh, pubic uh, justice. Pubic justice, the theme is Stevie, Stevie Nicks. Nicks. <laughs> so funny. It's wonderful. Um, And that's so funny because when you compare that to Stefan, which is the straight guys parodying gay life version of that. Right. It, it's so much, like, it's bigger and it's funnier in its way, but th- th- that that line is just closely observed. Yeah. You know, it's closely observed and gently heightened. Um, and I love how much, um, so frequently in movies about nightlife, um, there is this othering that goes on uh-huh. where one of the things that is dangerous about the club that you are in is that you are around these gay people right. and you are around these cocaine people. Right. Um, and in Party Girl, there are colorful figures, mm-hmm. but they're never dangerous. Like, they're, um, like, when... Which is how it is. Yes, when that statuesque um, person uh, sort of calls uh Mary onto the dance floor yeah uh and like dances magnificently around her as she essentially just that's so great. poses and seems bored she does these yeah funny little stop motion poses yes um which means she never has to try dancing um but uh like you there is this sense of intimacy with this world that uh-huh. doesn't require that we meet all of these people but uh, understand that like they're human beings. They've got lives. As much as the yeah. people in the library are human beings who have lives. Yeah, it's kind of like the outcasts are just portrayed as totally normal because that's how they are. Yeah. It's not like uh, uh, Marky Mark and Boogie Nights getting caught up with the wrong crowd. Yeah. Although that did paint a loving look, to be fair, of the porn industry, now to think back. But everyone in the scene, like I remember going to New York and my friend Bob, who was coming from kind of small town suburb in the south bob was my first uh gay friend uh-huh. lived in new york just took took me to these parties took me to drag clubs and things i had never experienced before and it was a big eye opening experience for me i was like everything about this is great like why was i scared of this growing up boogie nights is loving but it fundamentally argues that that experience is debasing for those people yeah sure uh, um and it, if you were making that argument from it is debasing because of the way the world treats you, I would mm-hmm. be more sympathetic to it. I think uh, Anderson makes it more a little more essential than that. Yeah. Um, and why why can't it be fun? Because if you're saying it's gross and seedy, mm. then for those people for whom that is the only safe place for them to be, that is the only loving place for them to be, you are saying they they aren't people; they're monsters. Yeah. You know. Um, and rewatching it, thank you for making me rewatch it. Um, before, oh, did you? Yes, because, um, th- like there are some tones within it that I hadn't really thought about before, like, um, when Mary's godmother, uh, Judy, yeah, when Judy lectures her about, um, her responsibility mm-hmm. to 
like be a smart woman and right. not be a flibberty gibbet. Yep. Um, because that's what Melville Dewey thought. Because everybody thinks women are stupid. Uh-huh. And <laughs> Mary, in this very 24-year-old kind of way, being like, that's not about, like, I didn't cause this. Why do I have to be the one fixing it? Yeah. And just sort of, like, really loving the way that this movie that is so much about fun also does take a moment to understand that pressure that is on the dynamic. Uh-huh. Um, and then... I had very much forgotten about the attempted rape scene with Liev Schreiber. I totally forgot about that scene. Um, and with his bad British accent, God bless him. I fucking love it. Um, <laughs> but uh, not the rape scene. Um, yeah. But I, I just love that having a female writer and director mm-hmm. uh, on a female, like, centered movie in this way, yeah, is able to give you that texture of what a woman's life is mm-hmm. and not make it a harrowing film that is about those things right but just sort of say like that's part of the shit she's having yeah, to deal with this stuff happens <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, i think ahead of its time too for sure yeah you know um well let's talk about parker posey for a second because they did some looking today and i remember in the 90s like oh yeah she was like the indie queen but until i really dug into it she in a three-year period Maybe the best role any actor has ever been in, indie movies or not. Over three years, she was in Party Girl, Clock Watchers, uh, Flirt, Kicking and Screaming, The Day Trippers, which is one of my favorite movies. Yeah, uh, Doom Generation, Waiting for Guffman, House of Yes, and Henry Fool. Is that not ridiculous? It's amazing, and it's such interesting variety for somebody who is always giving you Parker Posey. Yeah. To be uh, fair. <laughs> uh, but also, I don't know that that's a bad thing. I think that there no, are she's the best. different ways of acting. Mm-hmm. And I think um, I don't want chameleon energy for those roles. I right. don't want some chameleon giving me their best version of Jackie O. Uh-huh. Um, I, like, I want what she is. Do you want, Have you watched Glow at all? Uh, yeah, I watched like the first half of the season. Haven't finished it yet. Um, like... It's, I didn't realize Marin could be that good. And um, it really is because there is somebody who is playing with all of the energies that Marin has, Uh and then he melds the rest of him so that you, so that the writing can do its work. And you think about him being a director and and all of that. Um, But I mean, that's how I, and, and also I love that. People would watch Parker Posey and then be like, I want to play with that. We have not talked about Dazed and Confused. Oh, yeah. Is maybe the best essentialized Parker pose you can get. <laughs> yeah. Fry like bacon, bitches. Wipe that uh, face off your head, bitch. Um, <laughs> That's one of the best lines. And she is, it like, kind of like the way we were talking about Kevin Klein, just like throwing himself at what an idiot Otto is. Yeah. Like, there's never a moment where she steps back from the complete bitch that Darla is. Uh-huh. And like and also Darla is not an inhuman monster. Right. She's a very human monster. Mm-hmm. Um and I love it. And one of the things that has surprised me is the way that like I understand why Party Girl means a great deal to me. Yeah. But when I am dealing with women or gay boys who are now like in their mid twenties mm-hmm. and they swear by the movie as well. Yeah. Uh, it makes me very happy and makes me realize that like there is a timeless majesty to what she was presenting us with. Yeah, and it's um it was made for like 150 grand and it really just captured that mid-90s New York vibe where 
Like Manhattan was a, a little bit affordable. Downtown certainly was. I mean, she has a loft in Chinatown. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's it's amazing. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. This is Ashley Iconetti from the Ben and Ashley I Almost Famous podcast. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee. Sounds perfect. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Also, uh, Party Girl, do you know it's Distinction? Um, I saw the first movie released on the internet. It was the first movie streamed on the internet. That's crazy. You're welcome, Netflix. Yeah. I mean, that was way ahead of its time. Who had the computer that could watch it, though? No, in 95? Yes. I think that was like AOL chat room stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's nuts. Um, But it, it was... He was just so clearly grasping for a place in mm-hmm. this world. Yeah. Because, I mean, our narrative of independent film is like, scrappy guy puts it together. Right. And, like, we don't really, you know, it's just yet another field where uh-huh. it took us a long time to figure out where women fit. Yeah. Yeah, it was just interesting when I was first going to New York and seeing that that scene, I was like... I. Like, this is so real. Yeah. Like, they portrayed it like pretty accurately, I thought. Um, my wife loved this movie, by the way. It's when I told her that it was your pick. She was super excited. Wonderful. Um, Omar Townsend, who I've never seen again, who played Mustafa. Yeah. Um, it's clear to her, or to, to me, watching her, that Mary, that's where some of her depth comes from. Like, of course, he's good looking. And he's the cute boy at the falafel stand. But there's something deeper going on. He's not that hot. And I think that there is something wonderful. Like, I, I when I first watched it, was not attracted to him. Uh-huh. I still probably am not. Um, I love this person who is very much in control of her social and sexual life. Yeah. Who is, you know, um, 
fucking bouncers and stuff like that coming to Falafel Guy and being like, who the fuck is this? Yeah. I, like, it, she's fundamentally a curious person. She's uh-huh. fundamentally an exploratory person. And I think that um, Mustafa gives us a look into that. And there are also ways that he is, like, dickish. Um, like, that. Wh- why are you always, l- like... Um, when when he's at the party uh-huh. and he's talking shit at her yeah, for yeah. like um you know essentially being too blithe and shitting on people and, uh-huh. and all of that, it is a little bit like this is her deal. Let her do her thing, right? Um, but I I like that there's this guy from Lebanon who's bringing a different perspective to uh-huh. behavior and isn't just sort of like enraptured by her, but yeah, just like doesn't know what her deal is. Yeah, and and again like. She's surrounded by people, and the question is always, do they have a purpose? Do they know what they're doing? Yeah. And, like, the fact that Mustafa is at that falafel stand, but he knows what he wants, she's, like, envious of that. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. Yeah, and, and he becomes a little project of hers because we later find out that she's, you know, trying to – or tries to help him uh, become a teacher. Yes. But that's also very slyly her her own process of – proving to Judy that, you know, I, I can be in the library sciences and still be party girl. Musical montage where she learns the Dewey Decimal Dude, System. I have it right here. It's only movie ever with Dewey Decimal Montage. I, it, it is so wonderful <laughs> and that great. she makes it essentially um, a dance. But uh-huh. like you have, like, is it a little ham-fisted that when she has her big confrontation with Judy, Judy is wearing a top that is entirely covered in letters, and she is wearing <laughs> an outfit that is entirely primary colors? Yeah. Uh, I like that this movie is telling its story in every way. Yeah. Um, but the thing with um, Mustafa, I I love that this movie understands her as having powers. Uh-huh. Like, by the end of it, she has acquired powers. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, and she's still uncertain of them, but you have so many, like, sci-fi and fantasy movies that, I mean, fucking Ray followed Luke around an island with, like, nuns and walruses for a while, and right. then she <laughs> left, and we're supposed to believe she's a better Jedi for some reason. Right. Like, Mary... Like, it's just such a practical way that, like, she now can, in an authoritative way, uh-huh. um, figure out how to become a licensed teacher in New York. Yeah, it's great. But, yeah. And it's such a sweet scene at the end, you know, in front of uh, all her friends when she when she reveals to Judy that she did all this great research and she's serious about graduate school. And this is a really nice moment. I mean, um there are a couple of lines that are yelled in that movie uh-huh. that are super great. When Judy tells her off and then ends it by yelling, this is a depression. Uh-huh. Um, it's just so wonderful that the little roller coaster of her menopause is in there. <laughs> and it sort of taught me about the idea of like, you can identify when your anger is because of something else that's going yeah, on in yeah. you uh, and place it there. Um, I'm serious about graduate school uh, and also grabbing wanda shoving her against the books and saying you're gonna help me bitch right um but i that the movie culminates with judy and all of her friends at her home that basically she's able to take these different sides of her personality Mm -hmm. and have them all come to a place and work together and like and dovetail and that 
the the police officer who is a stripper shows up. Yeah. Like <laughs> it is heightening. It like is a little hack. I don't know. To, but to me, it is just a notion of like her life doesn't have to stop being fun because right. she is going to be getting herself um, a master's degree in library science. Yeah, I think the fact that master's degrees in library science will be made um, entirely uh, like meaningless within the following five years by <laughs> technological so. changes in information studies. Yeah, it is I mean, kind of trapped that's in time. rough. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> through today's lens. Yeah, um, that's what's so much fun about doing the show is I. I saw Party Girl when it came out, and then a couple of times since with my wife. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh yeah, when you picked it, great! What a fun, fun movie!" But doing the show causes you to really dig in. Yeah, and there was just there was way more going on in this movie than I ever gave it credit for. Right. Than you know when I watched it today and took my notes. I think part of the charm of that movie, like <laughs> at the end of the day, it is an indie movie that is also a '30s comedy, uh-huh. and that it is able to just be a breezy experience. Yeah. Um is wonderful. I haven't said this yet. When I was in college through law school, I had a VHS tape uh-huh. that had uh, Party Girl recorded from HBO yeah. and um Metropolitan recorded from oh, HBO. Such a good movie. And I would when I was sad just start watching and then when I wasn't sad anymore I would stop the tape and then it would be right that's where it would be for the next time I was sad yeah I didn't mention Whit Stillman in that 90s indie run that well because that period was, of time was so great for movies but Whit Stillman was anti-playing that he was making indie films that were like yeah the direct opposite of what like everyone else was like um tits and let's talk about cartoons right and he was um, you know, uh, starch collars and let's talk about literary criticism. Right, right. Who was the guy in all those movies? Um, oh, that was in guy. Kicking and Screaming and Metropolitan. And... Yes. What is his name? So, uh, I know we got to be thinking of the same guy. Absolutely. He was on Gilmore Girls for a while. Like, it, it's just that horrible thing of you want these people to have rich careers. And yeah. People don't always know what to do with them. Yeah. Can I tell you a beautiful story? Yes. Of, um, a film it is largely unrelated to the things that we have discussed. Absolutely. I was recently watching TCM, mm-hmm. and they showed a trailer, as they do in between movies, and it was for a French-language film that came after Gigi that had both Leslie Caron and Maurice Chevalier in it. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was like, what's that movie? Uh, and the male lead in it was so fucking hot. He uh-huh. was so fucking hot. And I was like, won't it just be the story that this guy made two movies and then disappeared? Right. No. I went to Wikipedia, and the guy had a rich and storied career that culminated with a. Uh, uh, he was in Life Is Beautiful. Um, oh wow! Yes, uh, and so then I was like, the only thing that could make this better, uh-huh. the only thing that could make this better, is if he were gay. And then I scrolled on down to that <laughs> personal, personal life, life. Uh, and it explained that he did an interview late in his life where he was like, "Yeah, I had a wife. We didn't have sex with each other. Uh-huh. Uh, I fucked dudes." And it was just like, <laughs> "Yay." Yay. What a great ending. What a fucking victory. <laughs> what was his name? Something German. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember. His name is extremely German, and he was super, he was like James Dean level handsome. Right. Interesting. Um, anything else on Party Girl before we move on to the uh, final segments? Um, Mr. Lou's got his rant. It's a fucking musical. It is he's so fucking musical. It was so great to watch it again. Honey, it's missing two buttons. And we didn't even talk about uh, the club lady. What's her name? Oh, the uh, 
Yeah, the owner of the club. Yes. Where Liev Schreiber worked. I'll have a mocktail. Yeah. All right, that's it. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, she, was, uh, she wasn't the best. That's I, like the one role in the movie that was a little... I mean, I rough. kind of like indie movies of the 90s uh-huh. when some of the acting very clearly says... The director knew me. <laughs> yeah. Like so many of those people in the library. It's like, that's not acting. That's yeah, talking. Sure. But I mean, like I said, they made this for $150,000. And yeah. I mean, it's great. All these people, uh, Liev Schreiber and Parker Posey, kind of before they were big. And it's great. Um, and of course, what's her order at the falafel stand? Uh, hot sauce with baba ganoush. Uh, sorry, a falafel with hot sauce, a side order of baba ganoush, and some seltzer. Absolutely. I knew you would pass that test. <laughs> All right. Um, we finish, uh, as you know, since you've listened, with a couple of quick segments. Uh, what Ebert said. This movie is a complete disappointment. And in this case, I was a little disappointed because Roger Ebert did not love this movie. Uh, gave it two stars. And he says, Party Girl is obviously inspired by great affection for Mary on the part of Daisy Von Schurler Mayer, who directed the movie and co-wrote it with Harry Burke Mayer. Uh, but the movie consists of sketches that don't quite hang together, and characters who are not quite developed. It's a showcase leading role for Parker Posey, who obviously has the stuff and generates wacky charm, but the movie never pulls itself together. Disagree. Disagree. And especially on the deeper dive today, uh, I think Mr. Ebert didn't, I think he didn't see below the surface. He does not love romantic comedies that were not made by Woody Allen. One time mm-hmm. I went to like the great movie section of... Um, the Ebert site, uh-huh. and I was like, I'm going to read his great movie reviews of um, of Nora Ephron movies, and uh, and I was like, I was like, at least when Harry and Sally will be there, sure. And no, what? like none of the none of the Nora Ephron movies were on there, and the romantic comedies were essentially just a couple of Woody Allen movies, right? People don't take them seriously. Yeah, I, I think I had a long, not this past Max Fun Con, but a different one. Um, in the late night Hodgman cabin hangout, we had a big romantic comedy conversation with a bunch of comedians and stuff. What is your favorite rom-com? I don't know. I mean, part of me, obviously when Harry met Sally is one of the best ever. Um, but then I don't know if things like, uh, did you ever see a movie called happy accidents with Marissa Tomei and Vincent D'Onofrio? No, but I remember that. Like, I don't know if you qualify that as a romantic comedy because it was, but it had this kind of weird sci-fi element. Yeah, I absolutely would. Or yeah. would not. What? I you would. W- oh, I you would. would. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, like, uh, what was that really sweet indie not too long ago with uh, uh, the brother? Who are the two brothers who make the all the movies now? Duplass. Duplass. Oh. But the one about the little time travel machine, what was that called? Oh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you know that one? I've seen essentially no Mumblecore movies. Oh, yeah. Yes. This one was so sort I, of mumble Corey. I am excited that we live in a world where uh, Mark Duplass is doing Match Game. Like, oh, is he on that? Yeah. He, he was just a panelist. And uh-huh. I like They were regulars on uh, the Mindy Project. Uh-huh. And there was just something so cute about these guys who are like representative of, we're breaking the system. Right. Being like, hello, system. We would like to play inside <laughs> of you. <laughs> I've seen a few of those Match Games. It's fun. Yes. Especially growing up on that. Like They, they kind of nailed the whole thing. I love Match from Game. From the 70s. Um. Is that still on the the new one? Yes, I watched it at the gym yesterday. Really? Yes. Have you ever met Parker Posey? No, my friend Jeffrey Jeffrey Self. Uh-huh. He interviewed to be her assistant once, and like, um, he described her as a Daffy Louisianan. Um, right. And I am not surprised by that. Yeah, I kind of forgot she was from the South. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm trying. I'm going to New York in February, and I'm desperately trying to book her for one of these. That would be amazing. Yes, I would like that. Would be a a tough one for me to get through. Yes, to sit across from her. All right, and finally, five questions with Guy Branham. First movie you remember seeing in the theater? Uh, E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Oh wow, that's a great first movie. Yes. I got scared and I put my hand into the hand of the lady next to me that was not my mom. <laughs> really? Yes. Did you think it was your mom or did you? There was like my mom on one side and another lady over here. And I just a stranger? thinking, yeah, and I just like shoved my <laughs> hand into hers. What'd she do? Oh, uh, she held my hands. Oh, that's sweet. Uh, first R-rated movie. Oh, um, I think Trading Places. Um, Funny movie. It's a wonderful movie. Yeah. Um, I'll watch that just about every time it's on. I got to watch it with my niece, who is 16, uh-huh. um, not long ago. And it was great. I mean, it's there's something hard about realizing just how tight a good comedy can be mm-hmm. and timeless. That movie's timeless. Uh, and then after watching it, all I could think is fucking Tiffany Haddish. This is what we should be doing with Tiffany Haddish. For real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although I will say I saw Trading Places recently. And, you know, I mean, how a lot of those comedies, when you look at them today, they, like, uh, don't hold up as well with certain themes. Uh-huh. But the whole ending with, with Dan Aykroyd in blackface. In blackface, yeah. And not just that he's in blackface, but it's just, in the movie, it's so ridiculous. Yeah. Because he looks uh, like a white man in blackface so plainly. No, it's it's slightly terrible. It's more than slightly terrible. But I think the fact that um, Eddie Murphy is the, the animus of that movie, uh-huh. is the spirit of that movie... Um, makes you able to like step back a little bit towards all of the racial weirdness. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like it is. It is horrible to watch any comedy from before two thousand five, maybe ten. Yeah. Just from like a you're you're incidentally going to use gay slurs constantly, even Absolutely. though there are no, no gay people in yeah. it. Right. There'll be sexism. There will be racism. Yes. There will be homophobia. Guaranteed almost. Yeah. As played for laughs. Yes. But the first act of that movie is so wonderful with Eddie Murphy when he's making the transition from the homeless guy to the apartment. It's no, really it, pretty fun. It's so great. Den Holm Elliott is great. And yet again, Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, no one could pull that off like Jamie yeah. Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis pulling off her wig is like one of the great moments in film. Yeah. Yeah. Showing that short, cute haircut yeah. she had. Yeah. That was great. I worked a photo shoot with her one time when I was a PA years ago. Uh-huh. And I was kind of destroyed because um, I was taking pictures and I took a picture toward her direction and um, she got mad and had me like. The ladies we love for being no nonsense are going to be difficult. I got to, um, for uh, Bullseye, I got to interview Margaret Atwood. Oh, did you guest in Switchery Week or whatever? Margaret Atwood fucking put me through the paces and was like, she. It was the worst because I love and worship this person. Wow. And it was like 20 minutes of her not playing the game. Uh-huh. 20 minutes of her essentially asking me questions to decide whether I was a human being or not. Wow. And then 20 minutes of her giving a good interview at which point in time I had no good questions left. Oh, no. I'm going to have to listen to that. It was wonderful. How old is she? 70. Oh, okay. Younger than I thought. Uh, number three, do you walk out of a bad movie? Do you remember doing so? Uh, yes. The two movies I remember walking out of were the film adaptation of Hurley Burley um, with Kevin Spacey. And it was based on a That's right. much respected stage play. Yeah, yeah. I, didn't, and, I don't think I saw that. 
than Dracula Dead and Loving It. <laughs> I I love Mel Brooks. I have always loved Mel yeah. Brooks. But Dracula Dead and Loving was It pretty bad. was crap. And so I left and I went and saw three, uh, 12 Monkeys. Oh, good choice. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like across the board, that's the move, is you leave and you're like, I'm owed a, another movie. Yes. Yeah, that's how you do it. Uh, at Hurley Burley, I left at like the 45-minute mark and was like, I would like my money back. Wow. And they were like, you have to do that in the first 30 minutes. Really? That's the rule? I was in Minnesota while I was in law school, and I considered yelling because in, you know how Superman, under the light of the yellow sun, mm-hmm. can shoot beams out of his eyes and is super strong? Yeah. Um, well... Uh, being a Jew in Minnesota means you are capable of yelling in consumer situations <laughs> when no one else around you would understand how to do that. Um, and so I considered using my almost godlike powers of making them uncomfortable. And I was like, no, let's save it for a crime fighting situation. Oh, man, you're the best. Uh, so are you, Chuck. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, number four, uh, Guilty Pleasure movie? Oh, uh, I think it was um, Brandy who said she doesn't ascribe to the idea of guilty pleasures. Um, right. I understand that. I do, but there, there are movies that I deeply love that are ha, have a thread of problematic mm-hmm. that unites them. Uh, and they are things like, uh, basically, uh, a gentle woman-y learning about race movie mm-hmm. that I understand is fundamentally bad. The help, the blind side. Yeah. Um, you know, um Driving Miss Daisy? Drive Driving Miss Daisy more than all. Yeah. There's something that is so interesting <laughs> to me about those prestige movies that are just like fucking watchable. Mm-hmm. I could watch Gandhi now. There's no situation yeah. where I couldn't watch Gandhi <laughs> or Driving Miss Daisy yeah. as though they were Mrs. Doubtfire. Right. You know? <laughs> Um, but like, and the blind side is the blind side comes very close to being unwatchable. Uh-huh. Uh, and I, but like, I'll fucking watch the help. And I realize just how bad the help is. Yeah. And like, um, but it is more, but it's cleanness makes it more satisfying to me than something like, do you remember the long walk home, mm-hmm. uh, with Sissy Spacek and, uh, Whoopi Goldberg, yep. which is like essentially the same movie about women dealing with a Southern civil rights issue, but uh-huh. has like consequences and real emotions. Right. And the help has shit in a pie. Right. But everyone's hair looks so good. Yeah. You know? You know what movie I think did that pretty well was, uh, you remember Passion Fish? Oh, God. We're talking, I mean, we're talking about <laughs> early 90s. Yeah. Um, here's the thing. Would you like to know my, the thing that Passion Fish most makes me want to address? Let's hear it. How many Academy Award nominations do you think Alfred Woodard has? She should have four or five. She has one from 1983 from Cross what? Creek. Yes, like that's the, nuts. She's been, she's she's been in Oscar buzz territory uh-huh. so much. Can I bring up one movie? I, like, have we already done all five questions? No, but uh, go ahead. We I want to bring up a movie uh-huh. that is not respected enough. That movie is The Gun and Betty Lou's Handbag from 1992. I never saw that. It is a touchstone comedy. Uh-huh. It is from that brief window of time when they were like, can Penelope Ann Miller carry a movie of yeah. her own? Oh, man. The I answer her. was a resounding no. Right. I tried to find it streaming. I couldn't find it streaming. The uh-huh. only, I had to get it, the DVDs were out of print. I had to pay money for an wow. out of print DVD. But it is, 
it's such an interesting movie to watch at this point in time when we are trying to wrestle with the idea of the stories that were not told uh-huh. because it is essentially a person who is a story who is not told tr- fighting to make herself part of the story. Uh-huh. And because it is such an interesting narr- narrative of forgotten people, yeah. Alfre Woodard plays and it's a much larger role than she gets to play uh-huh. in just about anything else. Because oh, wow. when does Alfre Woodard get to carry a movie? Yeah. But Alfre Woodard only having one Academy Award nomination. I can't believe she didn't get one for Passion Fish. I know. No, it, like, it's just that thing of, like, we all... I thought she had one for Passion Fish. Yeah. Like, did fucking Mary... Does that mean Mary McDonald got one? I don't know. She's great, too. She is great. And what happened to Penelope Ann Miller? I forgot about her. Uh, like... I had uh, a big crush on her at one point. She was in something recently, and she has had the bad work. It is is the unfortunate thing of, like, seeing those ladies who have had the right two to four procedures (laughs) is always magical, (laughs) and then there are those people who didn't. Yeah, Emily, my wife and I call it uh, plastique. Like, did you see her? She's plastique. Yeah. It's it's hard. Oh, I want to tell you one more thing, if that's okay. (laughs) uh, so while we were, I was writing for Billy on the Street, uh-huh. and we were love go- love that show. We were going to be, uh, he was going to be taking Meg Ryan around, mm-hmm. and Meg Ryan hasn't been in films a lot recently. Yeah. Um, and she, you know she is no longer thirty years old, and she was a little bit like tentative mm-hmm. about doing it. And so the structure we were going to do um, was just making people think. Meg Ryan for being Meg Ryan. Right. And we were coming up with lines for him to yell. And the very talented John Early, uh-huh. who was essentially in every movie this year. Yeah. Do you know who John Early is? Uh, I know the name and I know He was in Beatrice at Dinner. He was in The Disaster Artist. He was in every movie. He's uh-huh. a very talented comedian. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. But uh, I mean. he wrote the line, remember when movies weren't improv. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's good. Um, I I I love Meg Ryan because I love to remember when movies weren't improv. Which, did she do the uh, show? She did, and it was wonderful. Oh, good. Did you see Julianne Moore? Yes, um, I, I mean, did see that episode. That's the greatest. That is beyond any of the shows that I've made for <sighs> myself. Great. It's the best part of television I've ever worked on in any way. Yeah. And I did almost nothing. She just seems so game and cool and, like, down. Like, she is the greatest actress of our time because she was willing to stand in Times Square and say... I have tricks. Yeah. Want to see them? <laughs> Her shouting, want to see me cry on cue, uh-huh. is like, yes, you're a fucking master. Um, uh, is Billy Eichner awesome? Please don't. Billy is my wonderful. Bubble. Okay, good. Billy is, um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it is lovely to have someone who I respect so much and uh-huh. who is having so much success, who is still somebody who, when some real shit in pop culture goes on, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, is DMing or emailing just to say, right? Um, isn't this astounding? Yeah, like he's w- so when funny. A, when a girl we knew from the Brooklyn comedy scene was dating an Avenger, uh, <laughs> oh wow, we, we all had a lot to say. Who's that? Can when you say Je- when Jenny Slate was dating Chris? Evans. Oh, that's right, that's right. Yes, it was just like what that the was fuck the little, is going yeah, on? That was a Weird pairing. It's magical. It shouldn't have been though, because she's great. She's great, and Chris Evans is really cool. That's, yeah, that's the what lesson we've learned from it. <laughs> um, I feel like we should have our own podcast almost. That would be pretty fun. <laughs> that commute to Atlanta will take a lot out of me. Uh, and finally, number five, movie going one hundred and one. What's your what's your movie ritual in the theater? Oh, 
I like to go alone. I like to go late. On, uh, on a weeknight, though there is great pleasure in Los Angeles, going opening weekend mm-hmm. at like one of the prime time times, yeah. you run into celebrities with their families. And like uh-huh. that's kind that of exciting. Yeah. But what I want, I want to go to the Grove or the Arc Light yes. in Los Angeles. I want to go to like a post 10 o'clock showing, maybe on a weekday, uh, if I don't have a job, if I have a job on a weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will perversely, I, I will always get a diet soda. Because however much I shouldn't be consuming a diet soda, uh-huh. I will consume a diet soda. Right. And I will get a hot dog. Nice. Uh, it is perverse, um, but candy's a lot. And I think people kind of treat themselves different, like their children at movie theaters. Yes. You know, that's like the one time you can dump milk duds in a box of popcorn and it's okay. Yes. Uh, just since you mentioned that real quick, I saw, remember the documentary Kid Stays in the Picture? Yes. I saw, that was when I was in living in L.A., and I saw that opening night at the Lamley Five, and it might as well have been an industry screening. There were so many famous yes. people. There were literally like 20 famous people in there. Um, I was going to other people alone uh, on like a Wednesday at like 10 p.m., uh-huh. uh, and what did I walk into but Zach Woods and Molly Shannon exiting a movie that both of them were in Oh wow! that they had gone and seen together. It was like that's weird. It was no. It was the sweetest. It yeah. was like it's everything. Like I don't know Zach Woods that well, uh-huh. but like Zach Woods is totally fucking going to a nice showing of the movie with Molly Shannon. She's one of my favorite all time having people. lovely conversation. That's great. Uh, yes, they're they're both just the nicest, and it's the terrible thing about being me as a comedian uh-huh. is like. I say mean things. And like here standing in front of me are two people I respect greatly yeah. who are also super nice. And I sure as fuck did say, well, let's hope I like it. You know, I was just <laughs> a little bit of an asshole to them in a way that I didn't need to be. Yeah. Maybe I'll grow up one of these days. That's right. Um, but the Lamely, it's now, it has a different name now, but like. Oh, really? Is it not Lamely anymore? Sunset Five? Yeah. Um, but it's a good theater. It's It's very close to where I used to live. All right. Thanks, Guy Branham. You're the best. Thank you for having me, Chuck. All right. Bye. All right, folks. That was super fun. Isn't Guy the best? What a fun, fun dude. And uh, he's just, like I said, super nice guy. Very kind of him on the road to spend some time with me here in the studio to talk about Party Girl. And I uh, really think a lot of him. He's very funny. Go see him on tour if he's doing comedy on stage near you. Uh, check out his true TV show, Talk Show, The Game Show. It's very funny. It's really, really good. And you can find him on Twitter very easily, at Guy Branham, G-U-I, 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 B-R-A-N-U-M. You know how to spell Guy. And Branham. So look him up. Follow him on Twitter. He just recently took down Alec Baldwin on Twitter in a smoldering series of tweets, which was a great thrill to watch uh, from my computer. So good for Guy for doing that and for uh, sticking up for the LGBTQ community online. So thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And until next time, why don't you get on Twitter and support the LGBTQ community? Is produced, edited, engineered, and scored by Noel Brown 
from our podcast studio at Pond City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Compatibility. This is Ashley Iconetti from the Ben and Ashley I Almost Famous podcast. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.